we continue in our hope series, if you want to follow along, we'll be in Romans 8, 18 in just a little bit. So we kind of recap a little bit of what we've done, trying to get uh, hopefully all of you, if you've been here for all of them or been here for some of them, the idea of what hope is in a Christian sense being different than what we usually use the word uh, for. Uh, Biblical hope is full assurance. That's the big difference. It's not wishing. It's not uncertain desire. And this assurance is in God's promises. That's our, our main, my main, one of my main goals is, is the idea that you want to understand that, uh, that eternal life is through Christ, God's presence with us, his protection from evil, these things that he promises that we'll have now and in the future. So this is something all people should have if they follow Jesus. And again, our, our kind of quintessential verse is uh, from First Peter, you must worship Christ as Lord as your life. That's if you want to follow him. Uh, and if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. That's the, and don't explain it like, well, I sure hope I go to heaven like that. Don't say that. You know, it's like, I, I know I am. Why? Because Jesus said so. I mean, that's kind of the way you want to come back with it. So it's not uncertain desire. It's a confident expectation in the way it's used in the Bible. So, and we gave reasons why we should have Christian hope. God's grace is something, obviously you don't earn it. That's what the definition of grace is. The gospel itself, the fact that it's been put out, we kind of went through the hand thing with the, the kids that, uh, you know, God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection, the gospel, it's easy to uh, comprehend. Uh, Jesus' resurrection himself and the new birth that comes through the Spirit, uh, we have hope with that. And the, the scriptures were written for us. We went through those the first four weeks. And then now we're asking more specifically, what is it that we can hope for? First of all, we were hoping for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, out of Titus 2, this blessed hope, the second coming of Jesus. And we hit that pretty hard last week. So we're going to this week look at Romans 8, and Romans 8 is, if you ask people one of their favorite chapters in the Bible, a lot of times Romans 8 comes out um, to give you a, a little back, you know, Romans is a book that, that Paul wrote to the, the Christians in Rome, but did not, had not founded that church, so it's very good theological, systematic theology, really, of what it's all about, and Romans 8 is kind of when everything pivots toward the positive thing, and he, he talks about that we're heirs in Christ if we believe in him and can call God Father. And then verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that's a good definition of hope there. You know, if you put in confident expectation, this makes sense. You know, why would you wait patiently for something you weren't sure was going to happen? You know, that's hard to be patient. It's much easier to be patient when you know what's going to happen, and then we can wait. And that's what he's talking about here. So the redemption of our bodies, he said we're supposed to hope for that. 
I think the older you get, the more you hope for that, I think, perhaps, as we look at the way our bodies go. So the first thing Paul says here is whatever suffering, whatever pain or frustration or disappointment believers endure now, in this present age, will seem as nothing when compared with the glory of the age to come. Now, this is uh, something that Jesus taught. It's something that was taught in the Old Testament. It's something that taught by the apostles. And you, you, you get critics of this saying, well, you're just, it's just wishful thinking. You know, well, you want it to be better. Uh, and that's why you want that. And, and it is kind of wishful thinking, I think. But it's also biblical hopeful thinking. Um, why do we believe this? You know, well, we just read, I consider the present sufferings in the present time not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. It's taught everywhere. The idea that this life is not the one you were originally created for. That's hard to do because it's the only one we've experienced, right? And it's not like this life is all bad. It's worse for some, better for others. But Paul shows this in the sufferings that he has in 2 Corinthians. He goes through this list in chapter 11 of what he endured. So this is the guy that says, I can consider these sufferings not that big a deal. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, which I guess another way to say that would be 39. But three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This is what he endured for being a apostle of Jesus or being a carrier of Jesus, which is very substantial. I mean, I most I haven't done much of any of that. I guess I've seen danger in the city. Um, all you have to do is drive there. Uh, never been shipwrecked, uh, never been beaten that way. Um, and I can seriously say this in two ways. I've never been stoned. <laughs> I didn't inhale. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think when you we look at this, you go back a few chapters to, to chapter 4. So we do not lose heart, he says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, that's another way of putting what he's put in, in, in Romans here, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Paul gives us this idea that there's something greater to look for. Um, and even creation, we see, is waiting for this hopeful change, this hopeful redemption. Uh, things will be different. I don't, we're not sure exactly how that's going to work. We read Revelation 21, first eight verses last week. You can read that again. It gives us this new heaven and this new earth. And I think I've said this before, but I thought it'd be very fitting given this week, um, this past week. You know, some people call this pie-in-the-sky theology. You know, and I've, I've always said, well, yeah, it is kind of, you know, that eventually it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And sometimes they say, well, why are you just telling these people that are suffering it's going to get better? Why don't you try to help them now? And we do. We do try to. I mean, the offering we're taking up for those in Haiti because um, they can't afford to go to school. And if we have surplus to be able to do that, that's great. 
So we're trying to help. It's not like we're not living in this world, but it all comes down to either there's a pie in the sky or there's not, right? Either we can, we can count on what Paul writes or what Jesus says, lo, I'll be with you, or he's not saying that. Which one is it? And it, if you look through, it's always he gives us this confident hope, this expectation that it's going to get better. And so maybe every time you think about the pie-in-the-sky theology, you can think about Aaron getting hit in the face with a pie. Yeah, either there's a pie in your face or there's not. You know, I guess you can look at it that way. The, um, you know, it took two showers to get that out of my hair. <laughs> I mean, Paul never had to deal with that. <laughs> never said six times I got hit with a pie in the face, you know. Uh, so a little bit wor- uh, worse on his part anyway. But So creation is currently subject to futility. Um, and we see that, you know, we've got the, in the Bible, it's called the wilderness. And it's not like, you know, the trees and the forest, like we think the wilderness. The wilderness there is this dry, arid land that you can't grow anything. It's where Jesus goes to be tempted by Satan. It's, it's this place that, that doesn't, why is this even here? It's like that land they try to sell you in Florida or West Texas. You can get 100 acres for 100 bucks. It's like, and it's worth nothing. You can't do anything with it. Well, that's not the way it was started when you read. So there's some futility there. Not all of it, and and that's a good analogy of of our own lives. Yes, some of our lives, it seems like, what are we doing? And other parts of it, like, oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, so it's both, and and that's what this chapter is talking about. But there's always hope, this full assurance that this is temporary. This is not always going to be this way. So from creation to true followers of Christ, he makes this transition. He talks about creation needs, it's going to be better and, and uh, any good Jew or good Christian is going to think back to Genesis 1 and the way the garden was. And, you know, one of the things that, that changed, creation even changed back then. So what he says is the clear truth about this age that all creation, including true Christians, will be groaning under the burden of unredeemed bodies. You don't have a redeemed body, I'm sorry to say. Not yet. That's not there. And we have to realize that the Holy Spirit in this age does not completely take away the groaning of unredeemed bodies. Um, It's something we have. He's the first fruits. He gives us the hope. He gives us the seal, the down payment of redemption. He's the one that is there for us. We have both the objective witness of the scriptures that tell us this. But hopefully, you know, if you're a believer, you should also have that subjective inner witness of the Spirit. That even when you go through really, really tough times, there's something there. there I know there's this is, this is I'll get through this uh, with other people's help. This idea that God never gave you, will never give you too much that you can't handle is really not true. And it's never really said in the Bible. It, it, that's not the whole truth. God never gives you more than you can handle without his help and others. You know, in your own isolated times, maybe you're not even supposed to be handling this on your own. You know, what does Paul say? Bear each other's burdens. You know, that's the idea that we have here. So we have this burden in this life, um, but yet what do we do about it? Well, obviously our main thing that Paul's trying to get us to do is focus on Jesus. That's what he wants us to do because he knows that's where the, the true soul help's going to come from, uh, Because he, Jesus, the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit, does not in this age take away all pain and suffering and frustration. And you're probably thinking, I kind of knew that. 
Uh, we all know that. Uh, all you have to do is attend a funeral uh, or go to the hospital or go to the doctor. Or for some of us, just get out of bed. That's all it takes. Things creak a little more. The younger ones here, oh, what you're talking about? Oh, wait. <laughs> You'll get it eventually. We all know this. It's not information you didn't already know. But this hope, this confident expectation in 24 and 25 here, it's not yet seen, so we must wait. And you see this patience. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we're supposed to be given, and it's also the fruit of hope, being patient to wait till this and doing what you can while you're still here. But knowing a little bit about how this works, it's just helpful, I think. Uh, and the Bible does give us some of this. You know, the work of the Spirit is to inspire us with hope again and again in our groaning. Uh, patience to endure to the end by reminding us that there, there's going to be more. There's going to be this redeemed physical body. We read about that last week. So what we're going to spend a little time doing, just because I want to and I've got the mic, um, is going to go through a little bit about what we do know about what we can expect. We don't probably know as much as maybe we want. Um, I don't know if you think about these things at all. You know, um, Two ways you can think about this. If you have a loved one who's died in the Lord, what's going on right now with them? Uh, it, I think that's always an interesting thing to think about. Uh, I think it, that, you know, if nothing else, I hope in the secular way that you are being confident hope that they're in a better place. But we're talking about even farther than this. Um, I do think you have to be careful with this and not go too far more than the Bible does, but there's nothing wrong, I, in my opinion, to talk about these things because the Bible does. Uh, and I think it helps our hope, the expectation hope. So this is a metaphysical question. I know it's a big word, but meta just means on top. Metaphysical just means kind of abstract things. Or, and sometimes it's called non-physical things. You got physics, which was, you know, how do things fall and how do you get rockets to go around the earth and all this stuff. And then you have metaphysics, which is more spiritual stuff sometimes. We are both physical and non-physical. This is a difference in some of the worldviews that are out there. A, a materialistic, atheistic worldview will say we're just, as they say, meat all the way down. We're just physical. Um, but the Bible teaches that we are a body-soul combination, or body-spirit combination. You know, this is, I've used this before in, in Bible studies. It's like, you know, do you have a soul? Oh, are you a soul? That's a different question, isn't it? The Bible says you are a soul. Not that you have one, that you're walking around as a body, and oh, I've got one of these souls. You know, it's, it's, it's who you are. It's the, and we'll look at a few verses that, that help us with that. Um, so if you believe that, and I hope you do, uh, where's it at? I'm going to look close, see if I can see anybody's soul. <laughs> I mean, is your soul, uh, I, I assume you, I mean, if you were at home before you came here, is your soul still home? You know, this is, I know this is metaphysics. Aren't you having fun? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is some location thing going on there. It seems, like it, it seems like it's the old, I remember people saying, you know, I'm just trying to find myself, you know. And I'm just like, well, it seems like wherever I go, there I am. So it's really not that hard. Uh, but again, your soul's it's there somewhere, but it's not like they could, you know, 
take an MRI and say, oh, there it is. It's right next to your spleen. You know, that's not, well, but it's part of you. And why can't we detect it so well? Because it's spiritual. It's not physical. And that's hard for us to, you know, kind of think. But we know it's there, right? Um, I, I mean, I, you know, don't, don't get dizzy or anything, but close your eyes. <laughs> uh, think of your mother. Put her in the kitchen if you can. Yeah, what's she wearing? What do you see? Now, if I, you can open your eyes if you want, or you can keep them closed, that's up to you. Uh, you saw something, didn't you? Now, if I got, you know, and I wouldn't do this, but if I opened your, and looked at your brain, would I find your mom? I mean, that was, that's not a physical thing, but it was real, right? Did you see it? I mean, I was smelling bread, for gosh sakes. And that's the thing, you, 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 it's just the idea, we, we kind of know this already. And to deny it's kind of silly. We know we're both body and soul. What's different about us than God, God and the angels are non-physical beings. That's their nature. They don't have a physical body, which is kind of interesting, you know. So why are we physical? Well, if you look at, at Genesis 2, you know, if you remember Genesis 2 is kind of a zeroing in on that, Actually, 127 is the verse in, in Genesis 1 that says that God created male and female and created them in his image. You get this, so the Lord God forms the man from the dust of the ground. That's physical stuff. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living, it just says person, it's the nephish, sometimes it gets translated soul. That's how you become, this is, you know, God did it this way. He breathed in, and, and it's so cool that the, the, the neat Hebrew word ruach is both the word for wind, breath, and spirit. So you can do a lot with this verse just thinking about, you know, God's spirit gets in and animates the body to make it alive. And that's, again, that's the idea that the Holy Spirit is this life-giving thing. Everything else gives death, you know, and life comes from the Spirit. And that's why it's so important, as we talked about, you know, the born-againing comes from the Spirit, too. So the, this is the physical birth. This is the first man. And, and Paul picks up on the importance of the body uh, and the physical part, too. It, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. He's the one that came up with this stuff. And so if you ask, why did God do this, the short answer is his idea. He didn't really tell us why. You know, we were created in God's image, but not completely because we have this physical thing going on. And that's how he started it. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, that I will do that. And so we don't believe in what we call body-soul dualism, that you're a soul with a shell or you're a body with a soul, it's, it's a combination of those things. But there's a physical, and our bodies are to magnify God, to glorify Him. We see this in Romans 12, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that will, He will find acceptable, that is truly the way to worship Him. You know, we give ourselves over to Him because it's a gift that we haven't. And then back to Romans in chapter 6, 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So body, soul. Why is this a big deal? Well, because back in the first century, we had people that thought, well, the body's bad. And the soul, the spirit, the, phys- the non-physical part, that's good. So you can do whatever you want with your body. Just do, you know, do the right things with the soul. And that's what he's kind of talking. And we got a little bit of that out here. You know, it's like, well, it doesn't make any difference what I do with my body. It's just my soul that matters. And that's never. We're a body-soul combination. So why did God do this? It's a good, and I don't, why questions are very hard to ask when you look at this. But why did God make us this way? Maybe it's because when I looked out, I wouldn't just see empty chairs because your souls are there and I can't see them. But did you, you ever think about that? Can, it, it, think about, I don't know, you know, let's not get too morbid, but it, it, you have somebody who's died in the Lord that you know. What did they see when they first were in the new place? <laughs> the place with God. What, what did they see? Were they like, I can't see anything. Nobody's physical here. I don't know. I, I doubt that. You know, can the angels see God? Or he's like, I, I don't know where you are. Marco, you know, tell me where, yeah, there you go. Where you at? <laughs> yeah, obviously there's something different here. There's, it's all, you know, God's glory was so important that he conceived of a dimension of reality that didn't exist before, namely the physical material universe. He created that, something different. So I, I tend to look at it as a different kind of realm. I don't know, you can do what you want with that. Um, scientifically a different dimension, I guess, that you get into something. Um, it's not in your outline, but it just kind of came to me. In Second Kings, you have that, you know, where, uh, where Elisha is, is, he's out there, and he's got that servant with him, and they're in this town, and they're going to get attacked, and they're going to get killed, and they pretty much know it. And then so they're praying, and then all of a sudden, Elisha seems okay with it. So he's like, maybe he just come to terms. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get killed. But the the servant says, you know, why aren't you afraid? And he says, well, can't you see? And then he prayed, and then he opened his eyes. It says, which is kind of a, spirit. and he saw all the angels and the warriors that were there ready to take over. So that's kind of a cool account there that something's going on, and you can get, you know, you gotta be so careful with this. But since we're talking about it, you kind of get, ooh, you know, get this. You know, or how many times in our lives are angels or other spiritual beings around and we don't see them? You know, be careful with that because you don't, you know, stay away from the Ouija boards and all that kind of stuff. If God wants you to see him, guess what? You'll see him. We talked about this when we went through the nativity. Remember, Zachariah is there and he's doing his thing in the, in the temple. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel's there. It's like, you know, I always wonder, was he there already and he just was able to see him or he came or how'd that work? You know, we're not told. But you wonder, you know, there's, we have songs, you know, angels among us and all those types of things. So, but this is to glorify God. And he created this physical universe and put humans in it with physical bodies in order to create added possibilities for his glory to be shown. We see this in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You know, that's the idea. You've got atheists who are scientists will look out and see this, and they don't see God, but God put that there. One of the reasons to show he was there. I mean, I mean, the only reason. 
I just read a long paper, and I don't know why. Well, I know why, because I'm a geek. But I read this long paper on dark matter. And it, it's just, it's really amazing of what goes on and the way everything works. And I won't bore you with it, but it's, it's just, the more you read about the physical universe, the more you are awed. Then you get Romans 1 the same way, you know. People should be able to look out at the heavens and see that a God has created it, and they're without excuse. And we'll say, well, some people don't. Well, whose fault is that? Is that God's fault or their fault? Well, the Bible says it's their fault, you know. And you've got, again, in Romans 2, it talks about that inner conscience that we're given. We know right from wrong, and we know there's a God, and, and so that's all there. So our bodies give us ways to magnify him, uh, worship and obedience that we would not have if we had no physical bodies or something that he seems like he's, he's doing for us. Uh, but, you know, you don't get too far when things start to get messed up. Why do we have to have the hope of the redemption of our bodies? Well, because something went wrong. Remember your hand? God, everything's going good. Man, oh, I got screwed up. Well, really not at first, did it? You ever thought about this? How long were they in, in the garden before they sinned? Was it like eight minutes? Was it 2,000 years? We're not told. You know, we don't think, you know, they put them in the garden and there's this time passes and we don't know how long it is. But they eventually fall and then we got a problem and that's why we have all this groaning. Um, and I think that's what, that's the way God has done it. And, you know, when you get past man, you get to Jesus. And that's obviously what the hope is in. We've already talked about that a lot. So you think about your life now. Um, it's okay to not to want to hurt and struggle. And nowhere does it say, well, you know, you just got to find ways to suffer more. That was out there in medieval times. They'd have to try to suffer so they'd get closer. Don't, don't do that. It'll find you. You know, enough. I mean, sometimes I suppose you can go into the suffering. I mean, I, obviously, we have times in the Bible. Well, it was mentioned today in the, in the, the Bible's Daniel. You know, I mean, he could have not prayed and not suffered, but it was just more important for him to be obedient to God there. So that, that's different, I guess. That maybe we would go into the suffering sometimes, but you have to use wisdom there. Um, I think it's good to want to be strong and energetic. You know, I got to play capture the flag with the third and fourth graders for a while. And I was doing pretty good until I got the flag. And I don't know if you know Capture the Flag, but getting the flag is good. Getting the flag home is the goal. And I thought I could make it, but not as fast as I used to be. Now, if I could have just got rid of that body and did that soul thing, I'd have been there really fast. But, you know, we have this, it's good, it's okay to want that, right? Um, it's tough, you know, you get people, if you do that, you know, we've got our, People care committee, we, you know, you go into nursing homes, you visit people. If you haven't done that, want to be a part of that, let us know um, or just go do it. You know, I always think, you know, what if I was there? Wouldn't I want one of you to come? So if I'm not there, maybe it's nice that one of us comes there, <laughs> you know, just to be there because they're dealing with this. They're not as strong as they used to be. And this type of stuff is really hopeful to them that someday. And just, you know, he said, well, what would I talk about? Just talk about back when they were strong. You know, where did you grow up? What did you do? You know, I mean, it's not that hard. You know, just talk to them. They're just the fact that you're there is pretty cool. But, you know, because of this confident expectation we have, we're going to know that all pain and disease and deformity and disability is going to be gone. 
I mean, that's why we can, you know, set the grave of someone that has gone through a tough time of physical uh, ailment, and that's gone. Don't we say that's a blessing? Well, we don't say that's a blessing because they cease to exist. That would not be one. <laughs> but that that's over. You know, no pain, no suffering. That's really cool. And really, obviously, it's tough for us because we don't have them with us, but it's, it's not tough for them. It's like, you know, it's kind of self-centered to have them come back and suffer some more, so I'm happy. You know, you got to be careful with that. But that's okay, you know. But and all sin that affects the body will be gone. You know, you get these questions, and they're good questions. You know, why, I don't know if you uh, are a Hawkeye fan or a Cyclone fan or a Cornhusker fan. You can be either one. Um, but, you know, Iowa has that n- new uh, tradition uh, when they're at home games. At the end of the first quarter, they turn around and they wave to the kids in the cancer ward, you know, which has become kind of a cool NCAA thing, you know. But, you know, every time I see that, it comes to me. I'm like, well, why, God, are you allowing a three-year-old to have cancer? You know, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I do know the answer. But you do, too. We're in a fallen world and stuff like that. Happens. Why that particular kid? I don't know that answer. I do think you pray about it. And it's amazing to talk to these moms and dads and the kid themselves. And they're like, it's just amazing how God's grace comes through them. But if it's true that they were made for another world, it does make a little more sense, doesn't it? In fact, it makes a lot more sense that eventually this will be gone. And so this is, you can see how much hope this gives us. Hope that it's going to change. We're going to have new and glorious bodies which are capable of new levels. It's really kind of neat. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to whoop all those kids and capture the flag. (laughs) And a hint of what to expect uh, that God has revealed is in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to kind of end up with this. This is... This is kind of the resurrection chapter in a lot of different ways, and I'm not going to go through every of that group of verses there, but just kind of skimming a little bit. You know, he talks about, you know, what's imperishable, which is our bodies, is going to be sown. It's going to, you're going to get a imperishable. You're perishable now. It's going to be imperishable. It's, it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body, which is an interesting term, isn't it? When you think the word spiritual, you think of, of, of non-physical, but this is a spiritual body. So it's not so much about the makeup of the body, but what's animating it, what's making it alive, the spirit. That's what the spirit of God, I think, is what he's talking about. So there's no decay, no sin, no futility here. Um, and it goes through this, and it, it talks about that we'll be changed, you know, that we'll get this spiritual body um, you go down to verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What he means is not everybody's going to die before Jesus comes back. There's going to be some that are still around. But everybody's going to be changed. And it's, it, for this perishable bo- body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when that happens, he said, death is swallowed up in victory. Finally, the consummation of death is there. That was the enemy. The enemy is always death. But Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we talked about eternal life. Our soul lives on, but our bodies will too in a new way. You know, and I think that's this imperishable Mortal body becomes immortal through the power of the Spirit. That's what this is always about. And we see it a little bit when you read Revelation 21 and some of 22. So God's 
final purpose for you is not to have your soul or spirit float around without your body in some mystical manner. That's kind of what it is now, it seems like. I don't know how that works. You know, those people that we know that have died in the Lord, you know, I think about that. Maybe you don't. It's kind of fun to talk about. I, what are they doing? <laughs> you know, what do they eat? Or do they eat? You know, rabbit trails. But it's kind of fun to talk about because, you know, do we believe they still exist? Yes, we do. That is the power of the gospel. And there will be a time when that whole thing gets consummated. He's going to make their and your body new, beautiful, healthy, and strong. That is the pie in the sky, I guess, right? This is what is taught. It's what we're supposed to believe. And, and that should give you hope, shouldn't it? You know, so no matter where you are, you know, one of the people that I know really liked this part and never met her, but Joni Erickson, um, who is a quadriplegic, uh, she, she really likes these verses, you know, that, and talks about that. She, ca she can't, and she suffers through what she does, but she also knows many have come to faith in Jesus. You know, it's one thing if I come up here and walk around and tell you, hey, if you're having bad times in your body, don't worry about it, it'll be better. But if somebody rolls out here, somebody pushes them in a wheelchair and all they can move is their head, and they tell you that, you can YouTube her if you want or read her books. Uh, she's a very faithful Christian, but she will be the first one to tell you that it's never, it's not really fun going through this. But somehow she makes it through. And, and the hope of this is so great for her. And that's true for anybody who goes through these types of things. So his, his final purpose is not to take you away from the earth to spend eternity in heaven, but to make a new heaven and a new earth where you will live in happiness forever. It, this is the true kingdom of God. This is what was always supposed to be until the fall happened. This is, it, it all makes logical sense. People can believe it if they want, but this is what Jesus taught. This is what Paul taught. This is the once for all faith given to the believers, and we need to make sure people understand it for the hope. So we can hope in this, right? I think we can. If you truly trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing truly good and happy in your life on this earth that will ever be lost. It's kind of cool. I like that. So try to do things that are happy and good, that honor God. Whatever is bad will be taken away, but all the good and happy experiences will be kept in the new earth forever. The, and mostly it's the people you get to do it with and the one that saves you. So you're going to get, and you can do this now, but you're going to get to do it more. You're going to use your body to obey God and praise Him, and God will be at the center of your life in a way that you're only starting to experience now. And that is why you will never be sad again. I mean, this is it's probably why we call it the good news, maybe. Because we do get what was promised, and we always should hope in that. Let us pray. Father, thank you for making provision for all of us through the cross. Uh, we know that we are in a groaning body and a groaning creation, and may we remember that, that this was not the way it was intended, but you've made provision through your son, and that's why we sing about this all the time. The cross, the resurrection vindicates that. May each one here realize the hope we have, that this is just a pinprick of the life we'll live, and having you at the center and uh, faith in you, knowing that we'll have new resurrected bodies, spiritual bodies, no sin, no pain, no sighing, but only happiness. Uh, may we rest in that as we go through our day, week, and year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.